Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It is 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A lot coming your way today. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy, and happy Monday to you. Happy Monday. I was just telling you as we were about to come on the air, if there's one thing that's going to get me in this 75 hard challenge, (laughs) it might be the outdoor workout when the weather is like it is today. So we both have jam-packed days. We Mm -hmm. have things on the calendar today, and we were talking about how we have to try and squeeze in an outdoor workout, but it's going to rain all day. Well, you told me I could count golf, though. Yes, you can. I, so, I believe so. I'm, I'm playing in the St. Louis University uh, basketball golf tournament, the St. Louis U Athletics golf tournament after we're done here. Scotty is going to join me. So that uh, just being outside that counts. for 45 minutes when it's like this, I think it should. You'll be walking, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Walking, walking carrying your lot. bag. I mean, yeah. that's that's a workout uh, no, in my I'm not going to carry my bag, but I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'll get my 10,000 steps, though. There you go. That counts in my book. I don't I don't know if Andy Frisella would count it in his book, but it counts in my book, it's, Randy. The, the, we set the parameters before we started, so, <laughs> so here we are. It was quite a weekend in sports. It was a lot of fun to watch all the baseball and a little bit of college football. Alabama and Nick Saban coming away with the victory, and, of course, the NFL yesterday. And Saturday night, Game 7, Tampa Bay Rays, Houston Astros. Somebody's got to save the world. Why not have it be a former Cardinal? And a 2-2 to a Rosarena and a fastball line to right center field. He's given it a ride, and he's hit it out. Randy Arozarena does it again. And Tampa Bay takes a 2-0 lead in the bottom of the first. Those two runs, the winning margin as Tampa Bay won it 4-2. By the way, uh, one of our friends of the show now, Pete Fairbanks, who's going to join us tomorrow, got the save. Webster Groves and the University of Missouri. So that was pretty cool. Some back-to-back Game 7 action, but this one was so fun to watch. Of course, it's Randy A., the one that got away here in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Best hitter on the planet, possibly the universe. Yep. Delivering for Tampa Bay. And a friend of the show, Pete Fairbanks, stepping up in a big moment. I was so locked in and so excited for him watching that go down. And we are your home of the race here in St. Louis. Oh, no we, doubt we made it. it very clear who we're cheering for, especially yeah. now that they're heading to the World Series. But congratulations to them. What a great organization. They We, we talked to um, Kevin Eibach, their lead director of scouting, who outlined everything for us and how they put together this team. And it's a really smart approach. And they're a really, really fun team to watch. Pete was sweating. Can you imagine that pressure <laughs> no. of trying to close out a game in a multi-inning save in Game 7? No. That's unreal. No, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I would crumble under the pressure. I would too. That's why he's in that position, because he's <laughs> mentally tough, Randy. That's what we're trying to achieve, mental toughness here. It was 75 hard. We're trying to get yeah. to the Pete Fairbanks level. I, li- I like that. Another team that has reached that point, at least in the LCS, maybe not quite in the World Series yet, is the Dodgers. And last night, one of the guys who has achieved his goal, Mookie Betts, kept a 3-2 game close in the fifth inning. First one, Freeman swings and drives it in the air right field. Betts going back at the track near the wall, jumps, and he caught it. He stole a homer from Freddie Freeman. What a play. Mookie Betts has done it. 
Holy cow. <laughs> Mookie Betts and the Dodgers outfield. Cody Bellinger had the earlier catch in the LDS, and now this catch in the LCS for Mookie Betts taking a home run away. Their outfield defense is superb. Superb. And the way he jumped and caught the ball looked just like the way he robbed one from Ozuna the game right. prior. It looked like the exact same jump. He's just a freak of nature. He is so athletic. Man, he's. How, imagine watching him do that and you're a Red Sox fan. That's kind of a bummer. We'll talk about that coming up in the next segment, how much of a bummer that must be. Because when you have a guy doing that at the highest level, at uh, on the biggest stage. Oh, it's kind of like Randy Rosarena? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so the game, after he makes that catch, the game is still 3-2. Bottom of the sixth, Kike Hernandez pinch hitting. The 2-2. Swing and a ball driven well. Left field. That one back there on its way. Gone. Kike Hernandez will touch them all. A no-doubter, his second homer this postseason. And we're starting over. It's 3-3. Kike goes yard. A few years ago, the Dodgers wanted to dump D. Gordon's salary, so they did so to Miami. And they got Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes, who've been great contributors to World Series teams and obviously doing great things in the postseason throughout their careers. Randy, how about his celebration, though? I... It was pure alpha, that celebration. Yeah. You could feel the excitement and the rage that was flowing right. through him as he was high-fiving his teammates. You know, there was a little... You know, the celebration was interesting. We'll put it that yeah. way. <laughs> I don't know if that celebration was as good as the one after this home run by Cody Bellinger an <laughs> inning later. Bellinger back in. Martin, the 2-2. Swing and a drive. Deep right field. On its way. Bellinger watches it go. Out of here. Cody Bellinger absolutely crushed it to right. And here in the bottom of the seventh, the Dodgers four and the Braves three. And then we saw Bellinger after the home run getting together with his teammates and celebrating in a pretty physical manner and <laughs> slamming their arms together. But how about as soon as he, as the swing wasn't even oh, finished yeah. before he dropped the bat and he slowly strutted to first base. He knew from the second that ball hit the bat that it was gone. Yeah, that's absolutely a, gone. That's an MVP strut down the first baseline. Now, we mentioned him with, with the celebration where he actually injured himself. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, not the first time it's happened, but I hit Kike a little too hard. My shoulder popped out. So I just had to run back to the training room, and they had to pop it back in real quick. Um, but I felt good. I was good enough to play defense and the game, that's for sure. <laughs> no big deal. Just pop your shoulder back in. Unreal. I'm telling you, Kike with these celebrations, first he and Justin Turner, now he's popping out Bellinger's shoulder. Take it down a notch. I know you're excited, but let's not enter your teammates. Yeah. And how about that? what turned out to be game-winning home run? Pitch. Swing and a high fly ball. That's out to center, and this is going to do it. Bellinger waving his arms under it. He's got it. And the Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to the World Series. They win game seven, four to three on the late homer by Cody Bellinger. The Dodgers are National League champs. Three years out of four, the Dodgers are the National League champs. They go back to the World Series for their third different opponent trying to win this thing. They're a juggernaut, and as fun as it would have been to see Ozuna and the Braves versus Rosarena and the Rays, this is a better matchup. This is powerhouse versus powerhouse. We're going to get to see these two teams go together, but Randy, imagine if you're an Atlanta Braves fan. Okay, you just knew that this was coming. You knew that, mm-hmm. hey, 3-1 lead, not safe. 
No safe no. Is, is lead is safe. No lead is safer in Atlanta team. And man, they are just a city of heartbreak. Yeah, it's a shame for them. It's they. Let's see. They have the Braves championship at ninety five. Falcons have never won a Super Bowl. They've lost two hockey teams. Hawks have never won a championship Georgia. there. Yeah, Georgia on fr- uh, Saturday night. Yeah, not great. Well, and and Georgia in the past few years. Right. Yeah, it's it is kind of a city of heartbreak. So, but they do show up when they win, which is great. <laughs> and they did get a football win yesterday. Yes. All right. Anthony's happy. You think he is? He's got to be. They got to win. They beat the Vikings. See, in my mind, I would be thinking lose, 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 tank for Trevor. Oh, their, their new coach hasn't fired up, though. And there's no way you're going to beat the Jets in tanking for Trevor, right? Because the Jets are like the worst team ever. Ever. They're, they're really bad. Yeah. Do you think they're the worst team in the history of football? I don't know. We've I had some so. bad ones here in St. Yeah. Louis. Did you uh, see the tweet a couple of weeks ago from Dan Orlovsky who said, my 0-16 would beat the Jets 16 <laughs> times? No. He was on the 0-16 Lions. <laughs> but that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't ima- I can't imagine that some of the football we saw here in St. Louis wasn't as bad as what we're witnessing oh, with the Jets right now. It was. It was abysmal. Yeah. And that's why you just you have to believe they're going to win a game because it just happens. Uh sometimes you just fall into one. And sometimes. I, I think the Jets will probably fall into one. When when they fire Gase, Whoever the new head coach is, they'll, they'll get one, just like Raheem Morris did yesterday for the Falcons. One of the biggest anomalies with that Rams team, though, was how they would play Seattle hard. You know, Seattle oh, would I be know. so good, and they would come out, they would either beat Seattle or play them really hard. You're like, how can you beat this team or play really well against this team? And you're incompetent versus everyone else. It's bizarre. bizarre. We'll, we will never, ever know. One team that is competent, the University of Alabama. How about getting Nick Saban back? That emotional charge for those players, and they just drilled Georgia on Saturday night. Reading about the players who were saying, yeah, we were in the quarterback's room, we're getting ready, and all of a sudden, Nick Saban walks through the door. He had the the consecutive negative test, and he's there. They said it was unbelievable just to see him show up like that, so I can't even imagine the emotional boost that gave that team. And he's a defensive coach, and they had a bad defensive outing the week before against Ole Miss, and they did allow 21 points the other night, but they average 50 points a game and they have for several years. You talk about a coach and the best coaches adapt to what the sport is becoming and Nick Saban goes out and gets wide receivers and he gets offensive linemen and gets running backs and he says, well, if other teams are going to play defense that way and the rules are going to be set up for defense to be that way, we'll just score 50 points a game with all our four and five star guys. Yeah, no worries. We'll just adjust in that way. Incredible. And then he comes off of COVID and that's, it's, it's like a Willis Reed moment for Nick Saban. I really wish he wouldn't have been pulling his mask down, though, and yelling at... At officials and stuff? Yeah, that's not a great look for him. I didn't... I, I When I was watching that game, I was like, really? That's what we're going to do? Shouldn't we be sending a better message? Uh, yeah, I think so. As basically the face of college football, don't, don't you think that you should be keeping that thing up? And he has been a really responsible guy. I know, I know. That's why I was surprised. Yeah. We have action for you tonight from the National Football League. Monday night football, Cowboys and Cardinals pregame at 6.30. The Chiefs play the Bills this afternoon at 4 o'clock as well. And that game can be seen on Fox. I think Joe Buck is running the gauntlet, like from Dallas to Tampa yesterday to Buffalo today and then back to Dallas tomorrow for game one of the World Series. Unbelievable. Yeah. But you're going around to broadcast sporting events. 
True, but that's a lot of information to keep it ready and, and to retain in a short yeah. amount of time. So he'll have that game this afternoon on Fox. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We've seen Randy at Rosarena, and it looks like he's going to be a guy that breaks our hearts. As a matter of fact, over the weekend, I got a text from Greg Amsinger who said that a Rosarena will haunt the Cardinals forever. What is he talking, cursive Bambino type stuff? I believe so. Oh, no. We want to hear from you. What St. Louis or athlete from your favorite team, when you saw him for another team, broke your heart the most? We have the Air Comfort Service text line open, 65780. We also have our Rhino Shield mic drop available if you'd like to tell us through that voice uh device just download or open up the 101 espn app and use the mic drop you have 30 seconds to tell us what player on your favorite team when you saw them with another team and especially when you saw them succeed with another team which one broke your heart the most maybe you're a fan of the orlando magic and when you saw Shaq with the lakers it just broke your heart that's yeah. what we're talking about yeah if you're the orlando magic fan here in st louis we want yeah. to hear from you yeah six five seven eight oh or use the mic drop feature and michelle and i are going to give you ours next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> Over the years, we have had a lot of athletes in St. Louis that have departed and they've won at a high level or participated at a high level. (laughs) And it's kind of miserable to watch that happen. Yeah. Michelle, who's your your all-time former St. Louis heartbreak that when you saw them participating, playing for another team, it just, it it broke your heart? So I I have a few. I think the one that stung the most when it happened was Albert Pujols because he chose to walk away. Here was this guy who had meant so much to this organization, so much to St. Louis, and for money he chose to walk. I think that one shocked a lot of people here because you knew the Cardinals had made him a pretty fair offer and you knew everything that waited for him on the other side. Statues, immortality, us watching him close out his career, breaking records here in St. Louis, and for him to choose to walk away, that one felt a little personal in the moment. Mm -hmm. Now, that's certainly lessened over time because we haven't seen him in the postseason because in my mind on that day, and I'll, ne- I'll never forget where I was hearing the news I was producing for Bernie. We were back in the office, and I saw the tweet. I believe it was from Buster Only, and I went, no, this has to be a fake account. There's no way. <laughs> but on that day, in my mind, I thought, we're going to have to watch him hit monster home runs like the one he did off of Brad Lidge year after year after year, and we're just going to have to watch it from afar. And that clearly hasn't happened. A lot of people aren't mm-hmm. really tuned in to watching the Angels. Sure. But that one stung. TJ Oshie, when he left and then won with the Capitals, really stung. As as happy and as thrilled as I was for him to finally get that opportunity. At the time, you have to understand how we were feeling in St. Louis. We still had not won the Cup. This was one of the guys that was the faces of that group that was supposed to be the group to get it done. And then the Blues part ways with him and he goes to Washington and he wins. At the time, I was like, oh, of course he's winning. The Blues are never going to get it done. They're cursed. <laughs> of course, TJ Oshie is winning. So that one stung. And then the third 
third one for me, you know, nothing will ever top the pain of seeing the Rams leave and, and play in L.A. for the first time. I don't know if that even counts, but that was the ultimate betrayal feeling. But when the Rams left, our guy from that group was Chris Long. And to see him sign with the Patriots, who was the team that we had hated for so many years, that one certainly was a bitter taste in my mouth. But then at the end, I, I was cheering for the Patriots. I was cheering for him to win a Super Bowl. And I was so happy to see him finally become a champion after everything he endured here in St. Louis. So there's been a couple that have hurt. But this Randy Rosarena thing in real time is worse than almost anything that I can remember. It's pretty bad. Because with Albert... There was a big contract. You understood the money. With Chris, hey, the Rams aren't here anymore. What's the guy supposed supposed to do? TJ Oshie, same deal. This was out of his control. Randy Rosarena is a guy who the Cardinals found. They had him under financial control. He was part of an area of this team where they certainly could have used him, and he never really got an opportunity to play here. So watching him do what he's done in Tampa, knowing he could have probably done it here, has been a unique type of pain. <laughs> yeah, and, and their whole philosophy is supposed to be we're going to develop our own guys and that's why we aren't going to spend money because we're going to develop our own guys and they're going to succeed for us. Well, the one thing that they need is what they developed and now Tampa Bay is enjoying the fruits of. For me, it, it kind of stands apart. It was Kurt Warner who, after winning a couple of MVPs, going to a couple of Super Bowls for the Rams, got seven more starts with the franchise before they released him after 2003. Uh, so he, he wins the MVP in the Super Bowl in 99. Then he gets hurt in 2000, and he was still awesome. And then he <laughs> wins the MVP and goes to the Super Bowl in 2001. 2002, he gets hurt. 2003, Martz benches him and then cut him after that year to see Kurt and especially to see him wind up with the Cardinals. I would get mad at people that would root for the Rams against the Cardinals because Kurt Warner was playing for Arizona. Really? Yeah. Uh, And it was just so awful to see him, especially in the year the Rams went 1-15, the year that Linehan got hurt and Hazlitt takes over. The the Rams go 1-15 and... Kurt leads the Cardinals to the Super Bowl, and I was I was rooting for him. But man, this, as a St. Louis guy and as committed as he was and still is yes, to St. Louis, totally. that, that was a heartbreak. Let's get to you. John has our first mic drop on 101 ESPN. The one player. I- as a Cardinal fan, there can be only one, Steve Carlton. He stuck it in our ear how many times, how many years he showed August Bush what a fool he was to let him walk away. Uh, there are a lot of people that played for those teams that believe that trading Carlton cost the Cardinals either one or two world championships. One or two, wow. Yeah, if they have him on one of those teams in the 70s, they probably win. And especially because Carlton was with Philadelphia, same division, and they were winning the division a lot of times. Yeah, that one's painful. Devastating. Uh, We also, let's get to a couple of your texts, 65780. Randy Rosarena will be to the Cardinals what Lou Brock was for the Cubs. Oh, my gosh. Ouch. (laughs) As much as I want him to succeed, let's hope not. Let's hope not. Here's one that a lot of people, and I don't disagree. In fact, I 100% agree with this one from the 314. When Brendan Shanahan got traded to Hartford for Chris Pronger. Brutal. When he came back into town, that was not a good night. But at least you got Pronger out of the deal, though. 
Yeah, that as it turned out, that wound up being pretty good. From the 314, Keith Hernandez as a pot scum, pond scum met. And because people didn't know why he was traded, there were people that were up in arms in St. Louis over Hernandez getting traded. And then he goes to the drug trial in Pittsburgh, and then everything came out, yeah, yeah. and people knew why he was traded. But uh, on that day that he got traded, June 15th of 1983, man, people went crazy. I can't even imagine as a fan if you didn't know the context and the reason behind it. And you just think, what? Yeah. What are they doing? And a guy who'd won the MVP four years earlier and six months earlier had led you to a World Series championship. Crazy. This one, we, we've gotten a lot of these. Brett Hall with the Stars, especially mm-hmm. winning the Stanley Cup with Dallas after all of the banging his head against the wall here and not winning one in St. Louis. Yeah, that one's tough. Let's get to Luke with a mic drop. The one player I hated seeing in a different uniform was Brendan Shanahan. He went to the Red Wings. <laughs> the effing Red Wings. Yeah, when he got traded to Detroit, that was worse than him going to Hartford. Because you knew that they were going to win a Stanley Cup with him. And then they had Hully a little bit later. But for Shanahan, not only to go to Detroit, but be, to become one of their leaders. And they're so hated. Uh, I'm totally on board. Were you just despondent them. during that time? Oh, yeah. Because I know your hatred for the Red Wings. Of, of all franchises yeah. to go to in the same division and having to play against him seven or eight times a year and him just lighting it up against the Blues. It was awful. So do you hate him in that moment? I know how how much you hated yeah. You had punch a Red Wings fan in the face. You had yet. to hate every... That was part of the rule. Wow. You had to hate every Red Wing. And Even Shane, ones you had loved. Uh, he, Hully, Steve Duchesne, yeah, Curtis Joseph for a year. Ugh. Yeah. It, it was really bad. Uh we got a couple more. Steve Carlton winning 27 games for last place Phillies team and beating the Cardinals six times in the process. Yes, pretty good. From the 314, here's one that uh, Michelle agrees with. Hands down, Albert with the Angels. Thought he was going to be like Stan. At least we do have Yachty. That's, what if well, Yachty winds up with somewhere else? Oh, man. I'm not willing to let my mind go there yet. I know that some people are taking more of a rational, financial, mm-hmm. baseball approach to this, but... That one is too emotionally charged for me to even consider yet. From the 636, still breaks my heart that Ryan Robertson betrayed the state of Missouri and went to KU. Boo. That one's from the 636. That might be Troy Robertson. Not sure. Uh, And then as a lifelong Cowboys fan from the 636, it killed me to watch Emmett Smith go to Arizona. Mm, Yeah, that's just weird. Yeah. A lot of Steve Carlton's, by the way. So we appreciate your input. We're going to hear from you throughout the course of the show. We have more mic drops. We want to get to your texts as well. Oh, this is a good one before we uh, bring you four downs. From the 314, Jim McMahon with the Packers. I couldn't believe them of all teams. This is a Bears fan. He made up for it, though, by wearing his Bears jersey to the White House and team photo with the president. So as a, that's kind of like... A Cardinal fan seeing Jim Edmonds in the Cubs blue. Weird. Like if you're a Bears fan seeing a yeah. one of your favorites, a championship guy in Packers gear, that would be brutal to deal with. Except, at, you know, at that time, as much as you don't want to see Jimmy in a Cubs uniform, the Cardinals still have the ultimate, hey, we're, we're better than you attitude. You know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that stinks. But it's not as charged. It's not as hated. Take it or leave it early. We're, if we have the same conversation one year from now, Petro is going to be on a lot of people's lists. Take it. I will totally take that. We want to hear from you throughout the course of the show. We're going to keep the mic drops flowing, and you have to keep them coming in. And we'll also read your texts throughout the course of the morning. Coming up, though, NFL Week 6 and 4 Downs next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Still two games left in NFL Week 6, but nothing better than what happened in the previous Sunday. All right, Michelle, the Patriots lost at home to the Broncos, 18-12. to <laughs> How did I know this is where you were going to go first? We're, we're trying to figure out, was it Brady or was it Belichick? Well, that was a game they just didn't lose when Tom Brady was their quarterback. He was 122-19 and at home as the Patriots quarterback at Gillette Stadium. They lost to a losing team at home. They scored just 12 points against a losing team. You better have a quarterback that can elevate everybody around him when you don't, you don't have much talent, and they don't have much talent. And the Patriots, they're trying to have Cam Newton win it by himself. It's kind of like with Buddy Ryan and Randall Cunningham, but he's hurt and he just can't do that. And when defenses know that the quarterback is trying to win the game himself, the rest of the offense is in trouble. In New England, the rest of the offense is in trouble. Last segment, we talked about star players that we had here in St. Louis, that it's so painful to watch them succeed elsewhere. You're a Pats fan. You're watching this game on Sunday, and then you're flipping channels. Oh, Tom Brady and the Bucks are doing what to the Packers? Here's the thing. You go home from that early game, so you spent your money. Are they even allowing fans there? I don't know. So either way. Either you, way, you're locked you, in. You, you're paying yeah, the cable you bill. Yeah, you're financially it, it, yeah. locked in. But you, you have a noon, and then the, the late game is Brady and the Buccaneers. That just has to be the worst. Oh, the worst. Because yeah. you know they're all watching, Tom. The, totally. They are with their Brady Buccaneer jerseys. Yeah. Wearing them. It's like the, your love for Kerr Warner. Yeah, same thing. Most guys yeah. from Boston that I know well, said, we will cheer for Tom Brady no matter where he goes. And now they're saying this morning, yeah, it was Brady. It wasn't Belichick. But all you have to do is next week the the scales could tip. Let's it, see at the end of the season. Yeah. You know, let's let's have Tom Brady continue to do this the rest of the year, and then we'll talk about it. Well, Randy, the New York Jets are just a hot, hot mess. Just a disaster. <laughs> They're, it's hard to believe they went 7-9 and nine last season when you look at what this team is, is putting out on the field. The product is terrible, okay? They were now 0-6 on the season. Brutal, brutal game versus the Dolphins. The Dolphins shut them out 24 to nothing. So you have a losing record. Terrible. You you just cannot win a game if you tried. You have your defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, throwing shade in the media towards Adam <laughs> Gase. On Friday, a reporter asked him, hey, the Jets are allowing 32 points per game. And 32 points for, per game. And Williams says, it's not a very good number. And not all of it's defensively. And then the reporter's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you'll have to figure it out. <laughs> Adam Gase, not pleased with that. You also have all these rumors swirling about, about Sam Darnold. People are you know connecting him to maybe being traded to Indy. People are saying, hey, Hey, if, if this continues, they're going to draft Trevor Lawrence, and he's out mm-hmm. of there. So here's the guy that that was drafted there to be the franchise quarterback. They're already ready to ship him out of town. And I'm a person that believes in patience. I believe that when you hire a head coach or a GM, you need to give them some time to figure it out. It's not always easy to build something. And in pro sports, we typically want to pull the plug after two, three years. But this is a circus. This There's no light at the end of the tunnel. And we have seen some bad football teams before where it's gone on for too long. And I don't know what's going on in New York, but they need to start having a powwow in the conference room and figure out when to, to peace out with Adam Gase. It's bad ownership. They hired Adam Gase, but then foisted Greg Williams upon him. 
Adam Gase and Joe Vitt are tight. Adam Gase is married to Joe Vitt's daughter. Mm-hmm. And so they're tight. Well, Joe Vitt hated Greg Williams from the whole New Orleans Bounty Gate scandal. Vitt didn't want anything to do with Williams on that staff, and by proxy, neither did Adam Gase, yet they land with Greg Williams. It's totally dysfunctional, and there's no way they can succeed. And if I'm the injured Sam Darnold, I'm going to tell them for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm still feeling bad. I, I don't think I can play for. I, I don't think I can play in this game. If you, with with that offensive line and with that level of dysfunction, with all the rumors floating around that yeah. you're going to get traded to either Indy or Pittsburgh, wouldn't you just wait it out and try to stay healthy? If you're his agent, are you saying why would you put yourself into that position? Yeah. Preserve yourself so we can get you out of here. Yeah, but until they get good ownership. This is the way it's going to be. The only time they, they've been good in the last 50 years is when they put Bill Parcells in charge of everything. Same concept as what happened in Dallas when Parcells was there. You, they, they don't have it in them to give complete control. Speaking of struggling leadership, Michelle, the Jacksonville Jaguars fit the bill. Yesterday, they became the first team in NFL history to have a different player attempt a field goal or extra point in five straight games. Oh, man. They turned to John Brown because their past four kickers have gotten hurt. Elevated from the practice squad on Monday, John Brown is plan E. He had never (laughs) kicked or attempted a field goal in his life. In his life. He was a kickoff specialist in college, a kickoff specialist, not a field goal guy, soccer player in high school, but he had never attempted a field goal. He ended that drought by hitting a 31-yarder against the Lions yesterday. He also missed a 32-yarder. But when you can't find a kicker that has kicked before, you have some issues. And I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars have some issues. Can you imagine you're that guy and you're thinking, oh, okay, I'm plan E. I'm plan E. This is never going to happen. You, You are a guy like... Tucker McCann, who was a pretty good kicker at Mizzou. And they're letting a guy who has never kicked a field goal in a game in college or high school or the pros, they're letting him kick field goals? Come on. What's going on here? Not great. Not great, Randy. Okay, so one of my four downs last week was about the Browns. How entertaining and surprising the Browns were. We talked about how they had a 4-1 and one start for the first time since 1994. I even rattled off some things that were popular in 1994. We talked about Ace of Base for crying out loud. <laughs> but as I mentioned last week, we knew they had a tough test coming up with Pittsburgh, and it ended up being tougher than we thought. Baker Mayfield was banged up. That injury showed itself right away, that rib injury. On the on the Browns' first offensive possession, he threw that pick six to make Fitzpatrick. He ended up getting benched. The Browns fell 38-7. to Just a blowout loss to the Steelers. Two takeaways from this one. One, the NFL is a better place when the Steelers' defense is the Steelers' defense. Yes. It is just more fun to watch. And the Browns are one of those teams where the pendulum swings so far week to week, one way to the other, where you feel really confident about them. Last week we were talking about, hey, look at all these weapons they have. They're finally hitting their stride. This is going to be great. Now this week we're talking about what is going on with Baker Mayfield. Is he the answer there? Uh, what would this team look like if they weren't so banged up? It's just one of those teams that you can never quite put your finger on. It's a factory of sadness. It is a factory of sadness. Yeah, and... I don't know what Baker Mayfield is going to become. We were talking about Sam Darnold. What happens uh, with Baker Mayfield with Cleveland? Do they stick with him? And are they really capable 
of being a playoff team with him. That's one thing Kevin Stefanski is going to have to determine. And yesterday benched him. Benched him. Yeah. But he was dealing with the rib, Brandy, the rib. Oh, yeah, it's the rib. (laughs) And by the way, the Steelers, their play caller, who had not missed a snap all season on defense, Devin Bush, uh, was injured in that game. He's out for the season with a torn ACL. So that'll hurt the Steelers' defense. But they always plug a guy in. They're pretty good. That's... Uh, that's four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do have the fight coming up at 8.30. Send in a text, 65780, with the word fight and your name. And hopefully, Scotty will get in touch with you and you can participate in the fight this morning at 8.30. Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Right now, it's time for Take It or Leave It. And here we go. Uh, Michelle. The Rams played last night, and they lost to the San Francisco 49ers. The Dodgers played last night and won in Mm -hmm. dramatic fashion against Atlanta and advanced to the World Series. Take it or leave it, you like the Dodgers a little bit more because you know they're stealing some of the thunder from the Rams in L.A. I guess I'll take it. Last Sunday night, it was the Lakers winning the championship. Nobody talks about the Rams all week. This week, it's the Dodgers winning and going to the World Series. Nobody talks about the Rams all week. It's pretty cool. And they're losing. Yeah, that was a good loss. I liked that a lot. I figured. Are, so are you... No, we're the home of the Rays. I was saying you're not yeah. cheering for the Dodgers because of that. No, but I just do... I like the fact now, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the way, that L.A. is owned by the teams that have owned L.A. forever, the Dodgers and the Lakers. And that's just not changing. Where's USC at? Yikes. You, you know got to I mean? start playing. got to start playing. I was thinking Saturday night after the Georgia-Alabama game ended and you have no West Coast games. I really miss those late Saturday West Coast games because I would always sit around and watch those and doze off to those. Doze USC. Off to those. Yeah. But even when USC plays, how much interest are they really commanding out there? Well, when they're good. When they're good, but I mean yeah. right now. That's why I'm yeah, saying. Nothing now, but they're still, on notice. I, I would think that the, and I don't know this for certain, but I would think that USC being what they are right now and the Rams being what they are, I would think that there would be more interest in USC. You're probably right, because that's ingrained in that. Yeah, that was their football team That's forever. their football team yeah. for so long, so they're not going to just abandon them even right. though they're bad. Okay, Randy, so um, here's mine. The Bears beat the Panthers 23-16 to yesterday. They're now 5-1. and one. The Chicago Bears, 5-1. and one. So take it or leave it. The Bears are good? I'm going to have to take that, Michelle. 5-1. and one. They play good defense. Nick Foles was efficient. And they're winning their games. So you have to say, yeah, they're, they're good. Now, they're ugly wins. That was the first loss yesterday that the, the Packers suffered. What's going to happen when the Bears have to play the Packers? But yes, I will say overall, they're good. Not great, but good. But good. Yeah. Scotty, what do you got for us? All right, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Send us your Teolis. Take it or leave it from the 636. No one, I mean no one, will be upset at the Rosarena trade when Matthew Libertor wins the Cy Young. I'll uh, I'll leave that. If if Libertor wins a Cy Young and Randy A wins an MVP, people will be upset. Libertor can win a Cy Young, but will it be a season in a season when the Cardinals go to the World Series? Right. 
because we're watching because the comp has got to be that he has dominant performances in the postseason. Yeah. You can have a great regular season. He could put together a great career. That would be amazing. But unless he does it on the postseason stage, the way we're seeing a Rosa Reina do it now, I think there's always going to be a little bit of a, a tit for tat type thing with Cardinals fans. Great point. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals should start looking right and they're here in their own backyard for pitching. Max Scherzer, Jake Arietta, Pete Fairbanks, Josh Fleming. Yeah. The list goes J- on. Jake Rizzi. Yeah, there's tons of them. I will absolutely take that. Just get the local homegrown talent and we'll be fine. Yeah. Seal the borders. Seal the borders. <laughs> yeah, like lock down the borders. From the 618, take it or leave it. The Steelers are legit Super Bowl contenders after their big win against the Browns. I'll take that. I thought they were before. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe it was several weeks ago that I predicted that they would be the last undefeated team. You did. And you've been a believer. Now we've got three left. You've got the Seahawks, you've got the Steelers, and. Uh, Who's the other un, unbeaten team? I know there's one out there. But anyway, yeah, the Steelers are still going to be the last unbeaten team. Now I want to know who it is. Uh, you've got the Titans at 5-0. and oh. Of course, that's why we forgot. We need to put some respect on the Titans' name. We keep saying this. Yeah, we do. That was a good win yesterday. 6-5-7-8. By the way, did you see Deshaun Watson during the toss? So the Titans win the toss, and Watson like throws his head back like, oh, man, we just lost. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Take it or leave it. The Blues will be a Stanley Cup contender, even without Alex Petrangelo. I'll take that. I'll take that, too. Because all you have to do is get in the playoffs, right? right. And Tori Krug is a good player. He's a really good player. And that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. He's not Alex Petrangelo, but he is better in some facets of the game, especially on the power play, a little bit better skater. There are things that Krug can do that Petro can't. Even though Petro's a better overall player and manager of the game, Krug can do some really good things. Pareko's going to have to turn into an elite player, and he can. We've seen it. I I'm going to take that, but with the asterisk that Jordan Bennington is Jordan Bennington. That is important. Yeah. Or so, Billy yes. Huso is Jordan Bennington of last year. <laughs> one, one or the other. <laughs> From the 618, take it or leave it. Chase Daniels should have gotten more of a chance to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I'll take that. I yes. would have liked to see it. Yeah. Do you think that if if you could go to him, okay, genie in a bottle, magic wish, you could turn back time. He's had a pretty sweet career. Mm-hmm. A lot of checks. Not, not a lot of action, but a lot of checks. Super Bowl ring. If you said to him, hey, you could have your career as it is. Or you could turn back time and you would be the starting quarterback, the guy, and they would stick with you and you could see what your career would have turned out as if you could have been QB1 with some sort of franchise. What do you think he would have done? I think any competitor would have wanted to play. Even if he's gambling that money, I would think that he would want to see if he could play. That's why he signed with Philadelphia, because he thought he was going to start ahead of Wentz and then they go get Sam and everything changed for him. But yeah, when he left KC, I think... To go to Philly that as a free agent, he thought he was going to be the starter in Philly. But option B is a pretty sweet backup. Oh yeah, he's going to wind up with thirty-five million dollars. Unbelievable. Well, the three-one-four, take it or leave it. Matthew Libertor will win a Cy Young, but unfortunately, it'll be for another team. <laughs> I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave that he wins a Cy Young. And I'm going to leave that it's going to be for another team if he does it, because I think the Cardinals are are pretty locked into this one. Yeah. Or, so. I mean, now. 
How, how do you think they feel now? Now they're stalking him, in my opinion, has to have grown. Not that they were wavering it on him or anything, but after you see what you gave up for this guy, you're certainly going to want right. to watch it come to fruition. And when Kevin Ibach says that we really didn't want to trade him, then if the Rays are saying the guy's good, then you have to think he is. That's true. Good point. <laughs> This one from the 636. After Tua made his debut yesterday, the all three of the top rookie quarterbacks have now officially played in the NFL. Take it or leave it. The order that they were picked in will be the order of success that they have in the NFL. So, so we're so, so we're going Burrow to a Herbert. Yes, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to go Burrow Herbert Tua. Are you doing that based on skill set or based on environment? Environment, totally. Yeah. So then I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. Same reason for, that you're gonna take it. This one comes from the six three six. Take it or leave it. After the Bucks win yesterday, you think they're legit Super Bowl contenders again? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it too. Their defense is really good. Brady played well. They didn't have any penalties. They played disciplined, and they still don't have everybody back yet. And their their offensive line appears to be getting better. I would love to see them in the Super Bowl. In Tampa. Oh, my gosh. What a story. Yeah, that'd be great. From the 314, take it or leave it. Colton Wong will not be starting at second base on opening day for your St. Louis Cardinals. Ooh, leave good it. good one. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to take it. You, th- you think they're going to walk away? I think they are. Wow. That's going to be our next segment coming up, too. But, yeah, uh, we'll give you our reasoning coming up. This one from the 314, take it or leave it. Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, Dexter Fowler. There will be a different outfield other than that at opening day in 2020. Fowler, Bader, Carlson. It'll so be different O'Neal than that. O'Neal is I'm going to leave it. DH. That's it. Yeah, it is. I'm going to leave That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think O'Neal is here. I I don't believe. But on opening day? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't believe the Cardinals will make a move to improve their offense from the outside with everything that's happened. And we mentioned last week that they missed out on $254 million, according to the Business Journal, on ticket revenue. I think what they'll do is say, okay, we evaluated O'Neill and Thomas and Bader, and we think they're going to be better over the course of 162-game season. They're going to say that last year was a weird season. It doesn't count. It's not fair. And they're going to come back with the same outfield. Yeah. We, we got to look at them, but not the look that we wanted. Yep. COVID disruptions, that affected the way guys played. Which is true. All of it's true. It but. is, but I'd still like to have somebody better. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It. From the 314, Take It or Leave It. Cardinals cannot develop hitters. Name one other than Pujols. Stan the man. <laughs> Matt Carpenter has been top 10 MVP a couple of times. Top 5 once. Uh, one of the best leadoff hitters for for a stretch ever. Okay. I'm going to does this count? I'm going to leave it because they developed Randy Rosarena. Yep, they, they scouted did. him. He he has talked at length about how the Cardinals hitting coaches and this system helped him redefine his swing. They just didn't give him the opportunity to show what he what he had developed in this right. system. Yeah. So they developed him. Yeah. Alan Craig until he got hurt was a really good hitter. So I'm going to I'm going to leave that one. But they they can come up with a hitter once in a while but just not on a regular basis. And hang on to them. Yeah, that'd be a good thing, too. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, for the Cardinals specifically, is it worth it for them to pick up Colton Wong's $12.5 million option for next year? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
802, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, the Cardinals have a $12.5 million option to pick up on Gold Glove second baseman Colton Wong for 2021. And a valid question is, for this team, is it worth that expenditure to bring Colton Wong back? And even though he is a great community guy and he's won a gold glove, at this stage in 2021, he's not a $12.5 million a year player. Gold gloves just don't, especially gold gloves at second base, they don't hold that much sway anymore. The Reds gave Mike Moustakis $12 million to play second base. You look at second base in the World Series, the Rays got a second baseman for, or, or the Padres sent a second baseman to uh, San Diego uh, for nothing, and, and uh, he'll wind up being the National League Rookie of the Year. And, and you look at the Dodgers, they just kind of float guys in there. Sometimes it's Muncy, sometimes it's Kike, sometimes it's Young. They, they have all different kinds of second basemen. It's just not a very important position with shifting, and it's more of an offensive position than a defensive position. Wonger had a 675 OPS in 2020. I just don't think that as good of a guy as he is, his production lives up to the $12.5 million. I hope that they pick it up because I think he is really valuable to this team. I know that that seems like a large sum of money and it might be tough to justify in, in this financial climate, but I think Colton Wong is so valuable to the Cardinals. He's an elite defender, as you mentioned. And what is the identity of this team? It's pitching and it's defense. And he he provides that too. Also from a lineup perspective, you like to have him in that leadoff spot. He's really blossomed into the player that you were hoping that he would be. And when I look at places to improve on this lineup, Randy, Colton Wong is not a place that I circle that he is a problem for me. I would certainly like to see them go out and improve in other areas. Plus, I'm looking at it from this perspective too. Let's say Wainwright and Molina are gone. Wainwright and Molina are gone. Thank you, Randy. Who is the who is the leaders on, on this team? You certainly have Paul Goldschmidt, but Colton Wong is right there. He's a guy who's been with this organization a long time. He's really stepping up into that role. He's a, one of those foundation guys that you're going to need on your team in case Wainwright and Molina are not there. See, that's the thing. It, it, it's a foundation for a, a team that... It hasn't been a World Series team. It'd be different if it were a foundational player for a great team. He's a foundational player for an okay team. Last year, when we talk about defense, the American League Gold Glove Award winner was Yolmer Sanchez of the White Sox. And he went into free agency and the White Sox didn't even make an offer. Here's a Gold Glove winner from 2019. In 2020, he didn't get an offer until he signed a minor league contract with the Giants. He had a 638 OPS in 2019. As we mentioned, Wonger 675 in 2020. The war about the same. Sanchez 1.2 and Wong didn't have as much of an opportunity to accumulate war in 2020, but he, he had a 1.3. And Sanchez, by the way, they could have kept him for $6 million. And he winds up, like we said, signing a minor league deal. Wouldn't you, If you're Bill DeWitt and John Mozeliak and Mike Gersh, wouldn't you rather sign a guy that you can have for a million and a half dollars that's going to give you virtually the same production but might not be the guy, the person that Wong is? But don't you think that's something that they do look at? Not only would I not be surprised if they brought him back, I would not be surprised if they talk extension with him and we see that happen. I know they were talking about that before they started the 2020 season. Difference now is 
I'm sure they feel pretty confident in moving Tommy Edmond over there. Is Tommy Edmond going to be any different playing second base than Colton Wong? Now, obviously, you're going to have to have somebody to play third, Mm -hmm. whether it's Carpenter or somebody that you bring in from the outside or Nolan Gorman next year. But is there a whole lot of difference between Tommy Edmond playing second and Colton Wong playing second? Do you really think, though, that they would be ready to make that move? Because I don't think they're going to bring in anybody from the outside to fill that hole at third. I I would think the way the Cardinals operate, they would say to themselves or say to us, well, we saw some things that we really liked about Matt Carpenter down the stretch. And we think that Matt Carpenter can play third. and They're paying him anyway. So the, the contract is there. Would that surprise? I think the Cardinals are going to be in cost-saving mode, total cost-saving mode in 2021. Okay, but normally when they say things, we believe them. When they Mm -hmm. say, hey, we're taking this season to evaluate Bader, O'Neal, Thomas, this is what we're going to do, we we believe them. Normally they say those things. Okay, but if if you tell me, hey, we're still trying to win and we're a defensive team and we – believe that we can be in contention and you remove Colton Wong from the equation and you put Matt Carpenter at third and then you slide Tommy Edmond over, then I don't believe what you're telling us. I don't believe what you're saying. Because as much as we like Matt Carpenter, do we really think that he's the the answer at third base, that they should head into the 2021 season with Matt Carpenter as your everyday third baseman? No, they shouldn't. They should not. Absolutely. But I, I look at them having Carpenter on the books for $18.5 million. And that's more of a bottom line, isn't it? The the $18.5 million, what the Cardinals are all about, and Mike Matheny referenced this when he was the manager, is that contracts mean a lot. And I have to believe with DeWitt and Mosellock and the losses that were incurred, not losses, but the lack of income that was incurred in 2020, that if they're going to have to pay somebody, they're going to try to get as much production out of them as they possibly can. And if they don't have to pay somebody, if they have the option to not, like Colton Wong, I, I could absolutely see them not picking up the option and either trying to sign him for a lesser contract, I don't even know if that's allowed, or moving Edmund over. Do you think some of these contracts that they've, like the Matt Carpenter contract, mm-hmm. like we're talking about, would make them apprehensive to extend someone like Colton Wong? Yes. I don't think there's any doubt about that, especially as Wonger passes the age of 30 mm-hmm. because the Cardinals have been really hesitant to dive into those waters, the 30-year-old waters. So I would think that that would be an issue, especially for a guy who relies on speed. But if, if you're Major League Baseball, if you're the Cardinals and heading into this 2020 season, one of your main goals is we have to figure out a way to get fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to start this season with butts in the seats. We're going to have to recoup some of this money. Do you think this is a situation in St. Louis where people here love baseball and they love the Cardinals so much that regardless of what the product is and who's wearing the jersey that they're going to show up? Or do you think that this is, we're to the point where they're watching Randy Rosarena and all of these, and Ozuna and Luke Voigt and all of these other players that used to be Cardinals excelling in an exciting fashion and, and they're having fun. We're having the fun watching these guys play and then they head into the season, they get rid of Colton Wong, who's one of the guys on the team that is electric, that does make plays that make you say, wow, that was amazing. He's one of the guys that people are excited to watch, and you're going to say, okay, he's not on the team anymore, and we're going to put Tommy Edmond in his place, and old Matt Carpenter is going to start every day? Two points. Number one, I, I think there's a real question as to whether or not they're going to have fans in the stands next year and how many they can have during the course of the season. And number two would be, I think that the Cardinals 
in terms of wins and losses, they're gearing themselves for 2022. I'm not so sure that 2021 is really what they're thinking about. I have to believe what they're thinking about is a 2022 with either Kisner and or Herrera behind the plate, Gorman at third, DeYoung at short, perhaps an Edmund at second, Goldschmidt at first, and then you'll have Carlson and you hope that Bader winds up being a player. You'll have Fowler and Carpenter and Yachty and Wayno off the book. So you bring up the Libertors and Zach Thompsons of the world and you're basically retooling on the fly. I think that's where they're headed. And I, I, I think they're going towards even a less expensive model in large part because of the pandemic than they were headed towards before the pandemic started. So 2021 is a bridge to 2022. That's what I believe. All right. Yeah. And maybe they can be the fifth seed again and sneak into the playoffs that's, they haven't said anything. They haven't had a postseason get-together. But their actions over the course of the last few years speak pretty loudly to that. Man, I don't know. I just don't think you're a better team without Colton Wong. I agree with that. But are you a more financially solvent team? Yes. It's $12.5 million versus 650000 Not but, what fans want to hear. No, it's not. But I, I kind of <laughs> think that's where they're headed. It's, yeah. And I, I hope I'm wrong. But... If I were in their shoes looking at what they're doing right now, here's the bottom line question. Are you going to win a World Series with Colton Wong making $12.5 million in 2021? Probably not, so but he won't be the reason why. He, he won't, but I'm going to feel like I can get the exact same production for $12 million less and have as good a chance to win the World Series. That's what I'm thinking. And I love the guy, but I, I think the the value of that particular player has changed. DJ LeMahieu led the American League in hitting last year. I don't know where he, he was up near the top this year. He's making $12 million. Mustak, as we mentioned, uh, signs the $60 million contract with the uh, Reds. And he's, I think he's making 15 now. But Mustak is for $2.5 million more for 25 home runs than Wong. It's, it's just a different sport. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joins us in the Blues booth next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN, joining us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line Curbs. I look outside and I see the raw, cool rain, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a day that we would be driving over for a practice at the rink. This is hockey weather that we're seeing right now. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Every now and then it hits you, and you're going, wait a minute, it's like the end of October. We should be on a road trip or uh, or something like that. And, and then you realize, well, that's not going to happen until at least January 1st. So it's uh, it remains unusual. We continue to, to plug through, and uh, honestly, I can't wait for this next season to start. <laughs> Me either. And you saw the comments from Bill Foley, the owner of the Knights last week. You, you just mentioned at least January 1st. He's thinking February 1st. What do you think is a a logical spot for the NHL to start their season? I do think somewhere in there, Randy, I, I believe, and I know Gary Bettman in the league, and I know all the owners and teams obviously are hoping that you can get a full 82-game schedule in. I, I'm not sure that that's realistic. I really, I always felt as we watched this unfold over the last season that it was going to take 
two or three seasons to get you back on a normal calendar if your plan was to get back onto a normal calendar. And the one way to do it is you basically bite the bullet for a second season. So uh, if they really want to get back on a normal calendar or close to it, by starting in January or maybe even sometime early February, there is precedent for it in a lockout year where they've been able to do that, play a 48-game schedule. So somewhere between, a, I think, kind of like a 48- to 62-game schedule seems like it's in the wheelhouse if you're starting that late. One of the issues that they're going to have is if the Olympics that were postponed from last summer do happen this summer in China, then NBC has television conflicts pretty much come that second or third week of July all the way in for about a month. So, you know, that, that's going to be one of the factors that I think definitely plays heavily on how the this next uh, NHL season ends, which eventually tells you how it's going to all uh, play out. Curbs, as we're heading into this 2020 season, there's a lot of questions surrounding the Blues. Obviously, the uh, Alex Petrangelo not being with the team. Krug, is Justin Falk going to take a step up? What about Pareko? The absence of Vladimir Tarasenko? What is Jordan Bennington going to be this season? Et cetera, et cetera. But in your mind, what is the most important question that the Blues face heading into this next season? You know, honestly, I'm, I'm comfortable with where the defense is right now. I'm comfortable with Jordan Bennington in, in, in net and where that's going to go. I, I do think... There's a question mark in the backup. So if they do try to squeeze extra games in, you know, Billy Huso is going to become a very important piece for the St. Louis Blues. So I, I think it's fair to, to wonder how that's going to play out since he hasn't really been a regular in the National Hockey League. But to me, the larger question is who rounds out the top six on the forward standpoint? You know, is Zach Sanford going to take that role, hold on to it? Can he play consistently on the left wing with O'Reilly and Perron? and produce like we and, and what i mean by that really michelle is if we, when when the puck drops you know what you're going to get from ryan o'reilly we know what we're going to get from david perron you know what you're going to get from other players like you you know how colton pareko is going to play you have things you can count on i think zach sanford is still in that mode where trying to figure out consistently game in game out you know what you can get the question is are you going to get it more times than not and if he can fill out that top six, then you've got to feel pretty comfortable while Vladimir Tarasenko is out. If he can't, then somebody else has to do it, and I don't know where that comes from just yet. Yeah, it, Robert Thomas is going to have to turn into the player that we expect him to be in curbs. We're going to have, as we watch this team evolve in 2021, it's going to be really interesting because guys are going to have to need to step up on that third line, too. Kairou is going to have to play well. There's not much beyond Kairou on the right side. And Sammy Blay is going to have to play well on the left side, too. If you want to run that same style that the Blues run, though the waves of lines, those guys are going to have to step up and play. Absolutely. I mean, maybe Kairou is one of those guys that steps into the top six, Randy. I mean, that's... That's the part part of the question mark if holes need to be filled because obviously Tarasenko won't be ready until sometime in February at the earliest. Uh, having said that, the reason that I like why, why you're questioning if one of those guys can fill the third line because I really do like the chemistry and the makeup of a Sunquist Barbashev Clifford line. Me too. And that's a line that could get you 15 minutes a game. So you know you, you basically if this team can can go right and you do get those guys stepping up like you're talking about you end up with a first, a second, and two third lines. And if you do that, you're going to be in some really good shape. But, again, the whole key is is can these younger players step up and fill those roles? Because Doug Armstrong's already said, look, you're two years into a four- or five-year window. This, this last year kind of stung 
you know, being a uh, with the way the season got broken up because that took one of the years away from you. But he knows that he's in this window now. I don't know of too many teams that say, okay, we're in a window to win a Stanley Cup, and we're going to rely on a whole lot of young guys. That That is typically not a, not a strong formula in any sport when that has to happen. So, I mean, these guys are going to have to step up and play big no matter what. In the line of Schwartz, Shen, and Thomas, who plays center? Well, uh, Robert Thomas plays center. Okay. And, and so that'll be an adjustment. Braden Shen, now they can slide him over to the wing, obviously. But the one challenge is, like, like Braden Shen likes playing center. He likes playing center a lot more than wing. And and even with Tyler Bozak still on, on your third line and uh, still a very good hockey player, I, I still think you're somehow deeper if you are managed if you're able to roll three lines where Shen O'Reilly and and Thomas are your centermen. Obviously, if you're going to move Robert into the top six, that slides one over. So it, it puts a little more, even more importance on uh, Tyler Bozak going back to middle on that third line, barring any other roster moves. Curbs, we know that Alex Petrangelo was the captain of this team, and he had a lot of close relationships with the guys in St. Louis. And while they're all professionals and whoever they decide to be the captain moving forward, they'll obviously respect. Do you think there's going to be any sort of a weird transition period from from leader to leader with Petro gone? No, I really don't, because a lot of teams these days have, you know, they they they, they do have one guy that wears the C, but it, there is a leadership group is is how they like to refer to it. So. I really don't anticipate that. If there's going to be anything, it's going to be going in there for some of these players uh, and, and realize, man, that guy that was here for 10, 12 years is not here. And and I think that's a little bit of an adjustment in the locker room without a doubt. So uh, I don't think it'll – it'll. I don't see much of an impact from a leadership standpoint because you're going to go from one good leader to another good leader. Uh, I, to me, the captaincy is always a bigger issue if it's the wrong guy, and I don't think there's a chance it ends up on a wrong guy in this situation. But there definitely will be a different feel in that locker room as they try to readjust their defensive identity. I think the other interesting thing from a fan standpoint, because we do care about the letters, is that with Tarasenko and Steen out to start the season, your group that ended, well, you would have hoped would have ended last year with Tarasenko out, but that was the group last year. It was Petro, Tarasenko, and Steen. That was your group of guys with letters, and it'll be completely different to start the next season. Yeah, it really will. I mean, I, I would fully expect Ryan O'Reilly or Colton Pareko. I, to me, those, those are your two leading candidates to be the captain. Uh, and if one guy gets it, one of the other guys is an A. And then I also see you putting a, an, an A on on uh, Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, or, or David Perron. So, again, that's why we look at this leadership group, because you're sitting there going, okay, we're changing up some of the A's a little bit with some injured guys or a guy that, that left via free agency. And when you rattle off the names we just rattled off, you're going, ooh, that's not a bad group either. No doubt. Hey, Curbs, before we let you go, uh, you don't get much of an opportunity to watch the World Series because you're working at this time of year usually. (laughs) So are you looking forward to the Dodgers and the Rays? Yeah, I am. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's great the way things have worked out, Randy, where you had a team in the National Hockey League in Tampa Bay, one of of your best teams that won it despite everything going on. Same thing with the Lakers and the NBA. You know, and now you've got the two – teams in the American League and the National League that had the best regular season record in the World Series. There's there's some some fitting karma to the challenges that all these sports leagues put together. And I listen and I applaud every one of these teams and all these leagues, the the executives, the players, the, everybody that made it happen because 
They found a way to get back at it. None of it's been perfect, but for the most part, it sure as hell has been entertaining, hasn't it? It's been great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Curbs, always good to talk to you, sir. We'll talk to you later in the week. Thanks so much for the time. All right. Have an awesome week, you too. Talk to you later. See you later. Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, we had kicked this around last week, and now it is going to happen. Lakers in L.A. win the NBA championship. Mm-hmm. Lightning in the NHL. Tampa wins the uh, the Stanley Cup. So the World Series is a battle for best sports city in America. They're going to be the tiebreaker. Yeah. And they've got things going. Both Tampa and L.A. have things going pretty well right now. Let's go, Tampa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up, we've got the fight for you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It is time for the fight. So let's welcome in Randy's challenger on this Monday. Gabe is with us. Good morning, Gabe. Hey, good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm great. How was your weekend, Gabe? It was pretty good. Pretty low key, but pretty good. You know, isn't that how we describe most weekends these days? Good, but pretty low key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, with the Cardinals out of it and the Blues, out, you know, what do you do? Yeah, watch former Cardinals tear it up. That's what we do. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, Gabe, well, let's get going on this fight. Hopefully you can start the week off with a win. Question number All one. Right. Rob Gronkowski had a big day yesterday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Five receptions, 78 yards, one touchdown. When he was with the Patriots, how many Super Bowls did Gronk win? Two, three, or four? Oh, boy. I'm going to say three. Question number two for you, Gabe. Charlie Morton got the start for the Rays in Game 7. What NL, or which NL Central team did he pitch for the majority of his career for? The Pirates, the Reds, or the Brewers? Pirates, Reds, or Brewers. Morton, Morton. Morton sounds like a Cincinnati name to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the confidence. So you're going with Reds, final answer? <laughs> yeah, I think Reds, yeah, final okay. answer. Cool, just wanted to check. Question number three, yep. Gabe, Dansby Swanson hit a home run for the Braves last night in game seven of the NLCS. Which team traded for Swanson, excuse me, which team traded Swanson to the Atlanta Braves for Shelby Miller? Was it the Diamondbacks, the Brewers, or the Rangers? So I think that was the Diamondbacks. Okay. All right, last question for you, Gabe. Nick Foles picked up a win with the Chicago Bears yesterday. How many different teams has Foles started at QB with in the NFL? Is it four different teams, five, or six? Oh, my. Uh, (laughs) Boy, let's go with four. All right, checking score here. Randy's on his way in. Yeah, Nick Foles, quite the journeyman. He's been around. Yeah, and he still gets, he keeps getting opportunities, and then he's winning. I know, keeps impressing. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Randy is getting settled in here. Randy, say good morning to Gabe. Hi, Gabe. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Randy? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll tell you, Randy, this is supposed to be a fight. This is your challenger. You are the nicest opponent. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you, there's no hostility. There's never any, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm going to absolutely destroy oh, you no. in this fight today. It's, hey, good morning. Thanks for listening. Is that because you're so confident in your abilities? No, it's because... 
everybody that calls in to participate in the fight is a guest. And it's just like having a guest in your home. You you treat people with respect and dignity and be nice to them. And I try to be nice to everybody anyway. How Midwestern of you, Randy. (laughs) But you're right. This is our radio home. It and, is. and Gabe is our guest and our friend and our listener. So right. you're right. But this, mm-hmm. but you have to admit, this is the nicest fight that's ever existed. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Okay, Randy. Question number one. Rob Gronkowski had a big day yesterday for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Five receptions, 78 yards, one touchdown. When he was with the Patriots, how many Super Bowls did Gronk win? Gronk won. Did he make it? Let's see. He was drafted in 09. So he would have... I would guess that he would have been there for the Seattle and Atlanta, certainly. Um, and then what was the other one? Who who else did they beat from the NFC? Hold on here one second. Um, who else did they beat? Oh, the Rams. <laughs> Three. All right, question number two for you, Randy. Charlie Morton got the start for the Rays in Game 7. Which NL Central team did he pitch for the majority of his career? Pirates. Dansby Swanson hit a home run for the Braves last night in Game 7 of the NLCS, but which team traded him to the Braves for Shelby Miller? Tony Larusa of the Diamondbacks traded him to the Braves for Shelby Miller. Actually, Dave Stewart is the guy that Tony gives credit to for that trade. But do we give it to Tony? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, final question for you, Randy. Nick Foles picked up a win with the Chicago Bears yesterday. How many different teams has Foles started at QB with in the NFL? He has started for the Rams, the Eagles. I believe he did start for the Chiefs, um, the Jaguars, and the Bears. I'm going to go five. We have got a winner. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Gabe, what he did was kill you with kindness. That's exactly what he did. As you heard, Jack Buck's voice, Randy got all four correct. Correct, Gabe, you got two right. And here are the answers. Gronk won three Super Bowls with the Patriots. Charlie Morton pitched for the Pirates for the majority of his career, despite getting that Game 7 start yesterday for Tampa. It was the Arizona Diamondbacks that traded Dansby Swanson to the Atlanta Braves for Shelby Miller. And Nick Foles has started at quarterback with five different teams in the NFL, as Randy mentioned, the Eagles, Rams, Chiefs, Jags, and Bears. Gabe, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for playing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Great, Gabe. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle, after we're done today, Scotty and I are going to go over to the Norwood Hills Country Club and we are going to participate in the St. Louis University Golf Tournament. Looking forward to that, even though it's, what, 45 degrees or something like that right now? (laughs) Yeah, not super warm and sunny outside, but I have no doubt that you guys will hit them straight, hit them well. Is that why you're wearing this very sharp Billiken's half zip today. Yes, that's why I'm I'm wearing that. Nice. I don't know if people will see it, but uh, yeah, that's that that is why I'm wearing it because I, I have rain gear that I'm going to put on too. You're a, you're a gamer, Randy. I'm not really. No, I am the consummate weather wuss. So am I. I was so upset when this 
the fact that the Rams left because I don't have to be in an outdoor stadium doesn't really bother me. I, an outdoor stadium in December I used to be able to handle with no problem at all. When I was a kid, we would go to Bush Stadium for football Cardinal games. No problem at all. I have trouble in October for Cardinal baseball now. I, I would have trouble going to a baseball game tonight in this. When I think back to 2011 and how cold it was in that World Series, it's one of the things I'm most proud of that I was able to <laughs> to last the whole games, the games I went to mm-hmm. in that cold weather. And you're absolutely right. If the Rams were here, outdoor stadium, we love football in the snow. We love the toughness of it. We love the unpredictability of those wild weather games in the NFL. But we like it from the comfort of our home yes. on the couch while we're eating nachos and we're wearing sweatpants and maybe have a Snuggie and play there. I don't like it when I'm st- sitting outside. I'll never forget my dad goes to Green Bay. He goes to Lambeau for the first time and he Uh comes back and he's telling me about his experience and he's like, you would not believe how cold it was. He's like, Michelle, I was walking into the stadium and some super nice people from Wisconsin say, hey, they flag my dad and his friend down and they hand him a piece of cardboard and they say, hey, you're going to need this when you go in there. Clearly they could tell he wasn't from there. And he was like, why will I need this? They go, trust us. You'll figure it out when you get there. He said it was zero degrees at kickoff and they needed the cardboard to sit on because the seats in the bleachers are so cold. Every seat in there is a bleacher. Yeah. At Lambeau. It's cold. I it's went cold. there a few years ago when it was super cold, and it was like the first time they'd been shut out at home since like the 70s. They lost to Baltimore 23 to nothing, Ooh. so it was a dismal day. You mentioned nachos. Have you seen the commercials for the uh, nachos party pack at Taco Bell? I have. I've seen oh, it. Oh, my. And you know what I appreciate about that is the width of it, because mm-hmm. every chip can have the maximum amount of toppings on it. Yep. I never understood why people at restaurants didn't didn't just say, hey, let's invest in some longer platters here. Why are we making it this mound where it's messy, a lot of chips get soggy, I can't get the, the pico de gallo on there the way that I want to. It's a disaster. So way to go, Taco Bell. Yeah, smart. Smart move on the part of our friends at Taco Bell, who, by the way, as the World Series starts, everybody in America gets a free taco if somebody steals a base. I hope somebody steals a base in the very first inning of the first game to give everybody a taco. Yeah, good for those people. They get to eat delicious tacos from Taco Bell. I have never, because I've always worked in the afternoons, and I don't know if I'll be able to do it this year because we're doing the 75 hard, but I've never been able to partake of the free tacos this could be the year that it happens. You can't. I know, but I'll give it to somebody, at least. You have that sort of willpower that you could get a Taco oh, Bell sure. taco and give it to someone else? Sure. Yeah, no problem. I'll tell you what. We got a food delivery in here the other day that you and I could not partake in, and I begged Scott to not even open the bag until after the mm-hmm. crossover, because that's how weak I am. <laughs> Thank you, Scotty. Yeah, anything for you guys. Did you enjoy it? I did. Good. Yeah, there was a, it was a hash brown in there that I really enjoyed. I was like, like please do not open the bag. <laughs> I do not have the strength. <laughs> Look at Michelle's face. It's like, no, 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 no. I was like, please don't do it. <laughs> it's Carriker and Smallman. Coming up, the Dodgers and the Rays are both great at something the Cardinals are pretty terrible at lately. That's coming your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> As the World Series gets underway tomorrow night, you've got a couple of teams that have done a spectacular job of scouting other franchises for diamonds in the rough. You look at, for example, the Dodgers, Michelle. Justin Turner, they signed as a free agent. He had basically been cast away by the Mets. 
Max Muncie had been released by the Oakland A's, and the Dodgers wind up with him. Chris Taylor came in a trade from Seattle for somebody named Zach Lee. <laughs> the Dodgers traded D. Gordon to the Marlins to get back Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes. Obviously, they've done a great job of developing people like Seeger and Will Smith and Bellinger and Jock Peterson. And they do sign their free agents, A.J. Pollock and Mookie Betts, but they do a great job of finding under the radar what become stars that other teams really have no use for. The Rays do the same thing. And by the way, Andrew Friedman, the general manager, Pobo for the Dodgers, came from Tampa, Mm -hmm. and the group that he left in place at Tampa has pretty much picked up where he left off. But they trade a guy like Emilio Pagan, the Rays do, for Manuel Margot. They make the trade for a Rosarena. They do the Chris Archer for Austin Meadows. Uh, deal, uh, and in addition to Tyler Glass now. They get G-Man Choi for basically nothing. Uh, Joey Wendell was bouncing around. Mike Zanino uh, had been released by several teams. He winds up being a really key player for them. Both of these teams do a great job of scouting other franchises' minor league systems and finding gems within those systems. The Cardinals used to do that. They used mm-hmm. to go and get guys like Ryan Ludwig as Who's Ryan Ludwig? And you bring him up, and he winds up being a really good player. And if you look back at some of the Cardinal teams, especially from the the Tony La Russa era, I don't know why it changed then, but it seemed like the Cardinals did a really good job of finding some of those players. And now, for whatever reason, you don't see those gems from other organizations landing with the Cardinals like you used to. You really don't. But isn't Randy Rosarena, I know we always kind of circle back to him because he's the local example, but isn't he the perfect example of what Tampa Bay has been able to do? Here's a guy that the Cardinals found on a Mexican League farm team. He, they realize, hey, this is a guy that we really like what we see from a skill set standpoint. He's not getting any run in St. Louis. They have a crowded outfield. This is somebody that they had had their eye on for a while that the national audience did not know about. This wasn't a right. big name guy that he, that they had identified and they were willing to give up something for him because they believed in his talent. But he's the perfect example of the way that they've gone about this. Yeah, and they actually with him, that's probably the most they've given up for any of their guys. That's right. That's a great point. They've signed a lot of players uh, out of minor league free agency or traded minimal talent, not minimal talents, but uh, minimal production guys in exchange for uh, what they've gotten, and we don't know what Libertor is going to be. I don't think anybody can say definitively. If they could, then somebody would have him on their team or he wouldn't be a prospect. Right. But w- right now, I think you have to think that Libertor is not going to be able to do what Randy Arena has been able to do, win uh, an NLCS or ALCS MVP for his team. He could have a great career, but I truly think until he does something dominant on a postseason stage that people in St. Louis will feel like they got the short end of the stick in this deal. There was a major brain drain with the Cardinals over the course of the last decade. When you go back to Jeff Luno, and he took a lot of people from the organization to Houston with him, and then... Uh, several of those people wound up actually in Baltimore. Michael Elias became the general manager in Baltimore and took some of Luno's people. But the Cardinals also lost Dan Kantrovitz. He went to Oakland mm-hmm. and subsequently to the Cubs. They lost Chris Correa to the penal system. <laughs> they, they've lost a lot of really smart baseball people. And I, 
they're trying to retrench with analytics people, but I wonder how you get to that point where you can emulate what the two World Series teams are doing and do it better than them so that you're getting players before they do. How about we take it a step further and the fact that they don't have Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan, who are guys who had eyes on everybody, who had stats on everybody, and could identify a place of need on their team and would push the front office to go out and make mm-hmm. a move. And those deals were definitely being cons- they were being consulted with on those deals. They knew what players that they could look at and say, this is a guy that we can... How many times has Dave Duncan had a reclamation project? We would say, oh, that guy, how much does he really have left in the tank? And Dave Duncan would know that he could tweak one or two things and bring a player to the Cardinals and have him have success here. So it's not just on the front office and analytics side. It's that you had Tony LaRusso and Dave Duncan, who had a huge hand in bringing guys like that here to St. Louis. And like you said so eloquently, all they needed to do was make a tweak. And those were minor league players. Those were cast off major league players, kind of like Justin Turner where you could make a tweak and turn that player into a productive piece for you. Bill DeWitt said when he promoted John Moselock to Pobo and Gersh to GM, he said, he asks every day what is our competitive advantage? And against teams like Tampa, like the Dodgers, like Houston, like Atlanta, I wonder what the Cardinals' competitive advantage, what they would say their competitive advantage is right now. Because I, I'm not seeing what it is. That's a great question. I, I really wonder what their answer would be. Because they're a team who, who has had success. You know, they're not a team that's tanking. They're not a team that's rebuilding. They've been in the postseason the past two years. But they're a team that's clearly missing something. There's something mm-hmm. missing from that air quotes cardinal way that, that used to be there before. Well, and I think one big issue is you have all these people. You have all these analytics people. You have Moselak. You have Gersh. You have scouts throughout. You have minor league coaches and managers. And there wasn't somebody that stepped up when the discussion about Randy Rosarena came up and said, no, you can't trade this guy. You're going to get burned. Don't trade this guy. Somebody in the organization had to step up and say, don't do that. And clearly nobody did or didn't have enough of a voice that when they did, it was listened to. And clearly they have felt that way about players recently. John Moselak said, you will have to pry Dylan Carlson from Mm -hmm. my cold, dead hands when when there was all the discussion about Nolan Arenado and could the Cardinals potentially put together a package to acquire him. And obviously Carlson's name was brought up a lot of times and they definitively said, no, he is a guy that we know is going to be a huge piece of our future. Randy Rosarena was not in that discussion, or at least not enough for them to not be willing to part with him for a great pitching prospect. But I also think there's another layer to this, another tentacle, if you will. Randy Rosarena, obviously, just lighting the world on fire. But we we were talking about this before the show. Um, He did a a Zoom, and he had a quote about why he's been able to have such success with Tampa Bay. And I want to read the quote. He said, they welcomed me with open arms. They let me be myself. They let me have the freedom to be out there and be the player that I want to be. And I wonder if that's something within the Cardinals organization, too, that might be lacking, because you have a lot of guys who go out there and tend to look at it as, hey, this is my job. This is a business. And I respect that approach. I really do. But this is also 
a game. This is also mm-hmm. something that's supposed to be joyful and fun. And we should be seeing these guys' personalities more. We should be celebrating them. We should be watching them do bat flips or, or whatever it might be. Some players need to express that. And I wonder if they might feel a little stifled sometimes here. I don't know why. I don't know if it's – I can't imagine Mike Schilt doing that. I can't imagine this coaching staff doing that. I wonder if it's maybe the pressure or the, you know, the crown jewel regal – attitude that the Cardinals have. I don't know what it is, but we don't see a lot of that with the Cardinals. And it seems like guys like Randy Rosarena, Marcelo Zuna, the list goes on, go other places. And that seems to be unlocked within them. That let the kids play promo that Major League Baseball does includes people like Cody Bellinger last night, watching the home run and walking down to first base or Kike Hernandez or playing the way Fernando Tatis Jr. does. And you don't see a lot. And I, I appreciate that the Cardinals are trying to play with a level of class and play like we did in the 80s or under Tony La Russa. But times have changed. Tony La Russa hasn't managed since 2011. It is a different game. And the guys do want to have fun. And I think you do have to allow them to express themselves. But even in, in 2011, what were some of the things that we loved about that team and the teams that followed? It was the rally squirrel. Mm-hmm. It was the happy flight. There were things that that were more expressive and more fun back when Tony was here. Yeah, definitely. You know? And maybe it's just the idea of getting those personalities on the team and then allowing them to be themselves. We should, by the way, mention that the Cardinals did a great job of scouting KK. They got uh, Sun Wan Oh out of Korea, did a great job with him. They obviously did a really nice job scouting Giovanni Gallegos out of the Yankee system. Mm-hmm. They picked up Tyler Webb, who's a nice left-hander. He's the pitching version, not really the pitching version of what you're looking for, but he's a guy that you were able to pick up off of waivers, and they did a good job with him. John Gant was a kind of a bit piece in a trade, and they wound up getting him. So they can do it with pitchers, and they can identify these guys sometimes. It's just with offense, there seems to be... A, a real issue in identifying what a good offensive player is. And do you think they're having those discussions internally this offseason? Ho- I think they are. I hope they are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, it's today's big thing, including this day in Cardinals history. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Tim Kirkjian of ESPN, coming up in about 10 minutes with Carriker and Smallman. And we are going to get to this day in Cardinal postseason history. Looking forward to that. But earlier, we asked you for your mic drops in regard to the player that left St. Louis or left your favorite team. And when you saw him in another team's jersey, it just broke your heart. Here's a mic drop from Brendan. I mean, without a doubt, that's got to be Dallas Drake for me, you know. Growing up a Blues fan, he was my favorite player, number 10. And then, you know, to see him go out and especially play for the Red Wings, gross. Um, (laughs) It it was disheartening, and I could never get over that. Great guy, Blues captain. I'm with you, Brendan. That one was bothersome to see him go back to Detroit of all places. I love the way you said that. He went to the Red Red Wings, (laughs) gross. (laughs) (laughs) Jason also has a mic drop for us. The players that bothered me the most seeing in a different uniform were the guys from The Greatest Show on Turf. Warner, Bruce, Holt, and Pace, and other uniforms, all of them are going to end up as Hall of Famers. I just, it made me sick. (laughs) Yeah, that, that was troubling. The thing was, they probably should have, if the team wanted to maintain a level of competitiveness, 
they probably should have let go of those guys earlier, but seeing them in other uniforms was bad, heartbreaking. Isn't that what is so great about sports, though? That that seeing a guy in another uniform could elicit that type of reaction from you? Yeah, it's great. It's it's the best. Can we get Andrew? We have Andrew ready. Here's Andrew on 101 ESPN. I was a big Jimmy Ballgame fan, and whenever that beautiful man, Jimmy Ballgame, (laughs) Jimmy Edmonds, signed with the Chicago Cubs and played with them for a year, that was a straight-up dagger to the heart. That hurt, and that just did not look right. Yeah, and it's... It's not just seeing him in another jersey. I mean, it was one thing to see him as a member of the Padres. But to see him as a member of the Cubs? He was right. It didn't look right. No. No. And I think even Jimmy would agree with that. Yeah. So, Hey, thanks very much for your mic drops. We do appreciate them. And uh, if we get a little bit more time, we'll try to get uh, another one or two in. But right now... 101 ESPN presents the state in Cardinal postseason history. Looking back at the journeys to 11 world championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems, the highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com on 101 ESPN. Michelle, October 19th, 1982. It was a day a lot like this one. It's miserable. Cardinal rookie starter John Stuper pitched through two long rain delays, totaling more than two and a half hours in a 13-0 win over the Brewers. In Game 6 of the World Series, the Cardinals scored two in the second, then George Hendrick reached base for Daryl Porter in the fourth. Runner at second, and a high drive, deep right. Porter will touch North off the top of the wall. No, it's on him. Home run, home run. So Porter gets his two-run homer. The Cardinals wound up winning 13 to nothing. So you had a rain delay of about an hour and a half. Okay. Stuper comes back from that. He's a rookie starter. You have another rain delay of about an hour. Stuper comes back from that wow. and pitches a complete game. Went through both rain delays and threw a four-hitter. 13 nothing shutout for the Cardinals. Unbelievable. Imagine trying to stay mentally and physically ready for that. Yeah. Imagine that happening now. No. I don't think that's going to happen. No way. Also, on this date, 2011 World Series, Game number one. We remember who was playing there. It's a 2-2 game between the Cardinals and the Rangers in the bottom of the sixth. Two out and David Freeze, of all people, is on base for Alan Craig. That is in the right. Cruz will make a catch and now it's dropped. One run scores. Punto holds it third and the Cardinals lead 3-2. Nelson had it for a moment. It got away. Delivers off the bench for the Cardinals in the sixth. Chris Carpenter goes six innings for the win. Salas, Zipchinski, Dotel, Rhodes, and then Jason Mott with his fifth save of the postseason as the Cardinals won game number one of that series, three to two. I want to go back one day and watch all of those games because I've gone back and watched game six several times. Mm -hmm. But game one, I haven't watched game one probably since it happened. I would love to go back and watch every single one of those games because you forget about all the people that contributed, the Alan Craigs and the Dotels and how many Mm -hmm. of those those bullpen guys stepped up and were huge for the Cardinals down the stretch. We talked about the Memphis Mafia guys who stepped up, like Alan Craig, who were so big for that team. We remember we remember the pool holes. We remember the freeze. Lance Berkman was huge for the Cardinals in that World Series. Yeah. So many guys contributed. Gosh, that was such a fun team. I want to go back and watch also Lance Lynn surprising Tony at the mound by showing up and Tony saying, what are you doing here? What? Huh? <laughs> Bullpen <laughs> wrong, phone. Wrong guy. Wrong guy. 
And the other part of it is, and this is such a, a part of Cardinal history, so was the Milwaukee series where the Cardinals came home down in the series 3-2. But Texas wins game four, four to nothing. This is after the Albert three home run game. Okay. And then they win game five, four to two. So the Cardinals come home down three to two. How many times have the Cardinals come home down three, two and wound up winning the series? It happens all the time. <laughs> Used to. Yeah. Well, that's right. Back in <laughs> back in the day. We will have more. Tomorrow's a big day. Actually, October 20th is a, a big day. So you'll want to tune in in the nine o'clock hour for this date in Cardinal postseason history. Pretty cool. Looking forward to it. I can't wait. We'll ask Tim Kirchin, what teams besides the Cardinals and Yankees could do a feature like we're doing? And the ESPN baseball guru will join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle, I'm Randy. Great to have you with us as we get ready for the 2020 World Series that starts tomorrow down in Arlington, Texas. And we welcome to the program our friend ESPN's Tim Kirkjian. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, Randy. I'm well, Michelle. How are you guys doing? Everything's good here. Hey, I want to start with this, Tim, because every day this month, we're running a little feature at the top of the 9 o'clock, so it was the segment before ours, and it's this date in Cardinal postseason history. And we've had a good highlight every single day, and we do through the 28th, and I'm thinking that the Cardinals and Yankees stations might be the only ones that can do that. You think the Dodgers, I don't think, have gone late enough to have, and they haven't won enough World Series late to go throughout the course of the month. Are, Are us and the Yankees really the only two cities that can do that well this is the 21st world series for the dodgers and the yankees are first on that list with 40 so i think you have to include the dodgers in that conversation i think it's yankees cardinals dodgers and then then there's a pretty there's a pretty good drop well there's a drop after that the, the the thing is my point is you can't have great highlights from the Dodgers because for example today is the anniversary of game 6 of the 1982 World Series so you can get through the 20th but not the 30th because the Dodgers haven't won enough obviously since 1988 oh i see your point yes you yes you, i'm in i got it now well, Tim, we've been enjoying this postseason, but it's also been kind of painful for us here in St. Louis, watching Randy Rosarena absolutely light it up. And we were having a conversation earlier. We're wondering if that trade is something that might haunt the Cardinals forever. And we know that we will never really know until it plays out and we see what Matthew Libertor develops into. But what's been your reaction watching Randy Rosarena do what he's doing? Well, it it has been stunning and it's been unprecedented no rookies ever hit seven homers in the in one postseason and only two guys have ever hit eight homers in a postseason and that was Carlos Beltran and Barry Bonds so this no one saw this coming and I checked the day of the trade and I was told that a Rosarena was the key guy in the deal for the Rays so that they had their eye on him he didn't for them at least he didn't come out of nowhere But for the rest of us, he did. And it's an amazing story. But the beauty of baseball is who knows how long this can last. He might end up being a great player for 15 years. He might also not be a great player and that the game catches up to him. This is how perfect baseball is. is There's no guarantee of anything here. But he certainly is off to a great start. And at least from an offensive standpoint, He's the biggest reason 
that the Rays are going to the World Series is the power he has provided. They went 12 for 69 in the postseason with runners in scoring position, and he went 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position in the postseason. But, boy, when they needed a big hit, he got it, especially in Game 7. Tim, the Rays roster has 19 players that came from other organizations, 19 of 28. Why are they able to do this sort of thing, get to the World Series this way on a low budget when other franchises can't? Well, they don't have a choice. They have to go find people and they have to be smarter than everyone else. And then they have to develop those players once they get them. And that's what they're so good at. And I they just must be better in the minor league system and on the major league level that once they get a player, they identify this is what can make him better, and then they work with him and make him better. But I think the identification process is the most important thing, is recognizing this guy can play. The numbers suggest he's going to be he's going to get better from here, and that's what they do better than everyone else. But once they get him, I mean, Charlie Morton, a perfect example. He was very good with Houston, of course, but they spent that money on Charlie Morton knowing he's going to get even better when he comes to our team, and he has. His last five postseason starts, he's got a 0.67 ERA. And, Tim, when you look at the Dodgers, because of their payroll, they probably don't get enough credit, right? Because when you look at Justin Turner and Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor and Austin Barnes, they've identified a lot of low-budget players, too, that have come in and been really productive for them. Right, and it's no coincidence that Andrew Friedman, the you know vice president of baseball operations for the Dodgers, also ran the race. So he brought in the same ideas here. He's just got a, a ton of money to spend and he can go get Mookie Betts as that final piece that he needs. But Andrew Friedman's really good at this and he can recognize that Chris Taylor has great value because he can play in the middle infield and he can play the corner outfield and not many guys can do that. But that's why he's so good. That's why the Dodgers are so good and that's why the Rays are so good. Tim, as we look at the as we look at this World Series matchup, the first thing we're going to look at is starting pitching, and you have to like the way that this stacks up for the Rays. Not only did they get that extra day of rest, but the possible progression of their starters looks good. Plus, you have those question marks with Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw for the Dodgers. Yeah, I love the Rays' rotation, um, and Tyler Glass now and Blake Snell and Charlie Morton are all going to be on full rest to start, and that's precisely what you need if you're going to go win a seven-game World Series. And that's what I think we're going to end up with is seven games. Um, Glasnow's the key for me. He is a great pitcher. He throws 100 miles an hour up in the strike zone. His secondary stuff is tremendous. He had the highest strike rate, uh, strikeout rate in the major leagues this year for any starting pitcher. And he gets the ball in game one, he's going to get it again, and maybe he's going to get it again after that. So to me, He's the key that he needs to be great in this postseason. And also keep in mind, by the way, the Rays did not have one pitcher on their team that qualified for the ERA title this year, which maybe says something about the qualifications you must have. But they didn't have anyone pitch 60 innings this year, and they're going to the World Series. Now, injuries have something to do with that, but it just goes to show you the Rays haven't had a complete game since 2016, (laughs) and they still find a way to get – a team with that kind of bullpen into the World Series. 
Tim, you mentioned Tyler Glass now. We talked about Rosarena. What about the Dodgers? Who are the X factors for L.A.? Well, I still think it's Kenley Jansen at the end of the game. Now, they didn't need him last night because the Dodgers looked at Julio Urias and said, no one can hit this guy right now. 16 innings in the postseason, one run allowed. So they stuck with him, and they did the right thing, and I love it that they have a top-notch closer, at least a formerly a top-notch closer, in the bullpen, and they stayed with the hot hand and said, you're going to get the final three outs, and he did. But if Kenley Jansen is the guy he was three or four years ago with a cutter at 92 and movement all over the place, then the Dodgers' bullpen is really good. But we're not sure about Kenley Jansen. But two uh, appearances ago, he struck out the side. And the last appearance, he got... We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, one of our favorite segments of the day. Heck, it's, our, it's my favorite segment of the day, I'll admit it. You're killing me, Small! Well, thanks, Randy. Sure. Appreciate that. All right, well, some it's kind of sad news coming out of the world of hockey. Doc Embrick is retiring. No. 74 years old. We know him. He, you hear him on the play-by-play all the time, NBC Sports, Stanley Cup Championships, etc. He announced that he's retiring. He... I believe New York Post is where I'm reading this. This is a quote from him. He says, I hope I can handle retirement okay, especially since I've never done it before, but I've just been extremely lucky for 50 years. And NBC has been so good to me, especially since the pandemic when I was allowed to work from home in a studio NBC created. Now, into my golden years, this just seemed to be that the time was right. He is one of the best ever, one of the nicest people ever. And... I would think that when you get to be 74 with the traveling that he does, and he does have other interests, that you do find that time where you just don't need to do it anymore. And he's done it for a long time. He's been at the top of his game for a long time. So good for him getting the opportunity to get out when he's on top. So take our local broadcasters out of this, but he is the voice of hockey. He's the voice of hockey, right? You think hockey, you think Doc Emmerich. Absolutely. Do we have another sport where there's one person who's the voice? Because you have so many other competing networks that do so many other broadcasts. So it's hard to say, okay, this is the one guy that has done it for so long that is kind of the voice of this sport. Like even Joe Buck, he does baseball. He does NFL. He kind of spreads around. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't assign him to one specific sport. And because you have TNT and you have Marv and you have Mike Breen on the two different networks, I think that's a great point. The The one guy that's doing national hockey games that is the number one guy is, and that's all he does, is Doc Emmerich. That's a great point. Is there someone for golf? I feel like I might be missing Well, you've got Nance from- and Hicks. Yeah. So both of them doing it. So, and you can go one way or the other. But do you think because of the networks and because of the way things get shuffled around that we'll ever have somebody that has the longevity of a Doc Emmerich or that we can say, hey, that's the singular voice of this sport? I don't think so because I think the rights are going to move around so much. ESPN right now is bidding for the National Hockey League and they would share it with NBC. So it's going to be hard for one guy on one network to be the voice of the sport and and not do any other sports because Jim Nance does college basketball in addition to golf and Joe obviously does NFL and MLB. So there aren't going to be many guys like that. That's crazy. Well, in honor of Doc Emmerich's retirement, let's play our favorite Doc Emmerich call, shall we? For the first time in their history, the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. And even though we're partial to the Curbs call, obviously, still, it's great to hear Doc Emmerich say that about our St. Louis Blues. That was fun.
You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, Randy, this is a strange story, but I had to present it to you. So I'm reading The Mirror. You know, obviously oh, yeah. I Everybody catch does. up on my British tabloids. Why not? And there's a story about someone, Chandra Drew, a woman who caught coronavirus, COVID-19. She couldn't taste or smell anything after she was diagnosed. And she's had these lingering effects for six months and they were way worse than her initial symptoms. One of her <laughs> lingering symptoms, Randy, is that she can only smell one thing no matter where she is, no matter what she's eating, candles going, doesn't matter. All she smells is rotting meat. Ooh. Rotting Ooh, meat. Gross. And anytime she tastes wine, it tastes like butter, straight butter. But I was thinking about this. I don't know if there's a worse smell than rotting meat. No. If you are going to be afflicted with something, smelling rotting meat might be the worst possible thing. I would get to my doctor and have them check and see if there's something in my, maybe something got caught in my throat, a piece of sushi or something. (laughs) I I wonder if it is a result of COVID-19 or if it might be something else. If that's all you can smell is rotting meat, it would seem to me that there's something in your system that is rotting meat there. But would sushi give that smell though? Because well, it's rotting fish? fish. Yeah, if you have if you have a you know, I'm thinking of a piece of raw meat or fish. I, I would think that you could get that. Yeah. But if can you, you imagine waking up every day and you're like, oh, the sun is shining, birds are chirping. Oh, there's that rotten meat smell again. Like during the wow. summer, sometimes. We'll have leftover meat or something that winds up in the trash can and just walking out into the garage, man, it blows you away. <laughs> so I can't imagine that. That's just disgusting. As a matter of fact, you say waking up, I can't imagine going to sleep with that. Oh, which do you think would be worse? Trying to go to sleep. Yeah, that might be bad. That might be worse Ooh. because you can't shut your brain off. You're just thinking about it the whole time. Right. Yeah. Is this going to happen to me now? And Am I going to smell something? Poor thing. She's trying to be like, oh, at least enjoy some wine. You know, I'll just drink if I, can, if I can't get rid butter. of the smell. And it's just butter. <laughs> anyway, terrible. You're killing me, small. Okay, Randy, this I thought was very cool. Two St. Louis icons are merging. They're doing a collaboration for the ages. And of course, I'm talking about Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser and St. Louis's own Nelly. So it's been 20 years since Nelly dropped the record that shook the world. Yes, country grammar. And they're coming out with a limited edition beer, Randy, to honor uh, Nelly's country grammar in the 20th anniversary. It's so cool. It has his picture on it. It, of course, has his iconic line from the Lou and I'm proud. But this just seems like a collaboration that's a no-brainer. It is. And I'm glad it's on the 20th anniversary. And I, w- I wonder if it's going to be a national or at least a regional beer can that they're going to sell. They're or? only available in St. Louis. Okay. They're going to be released tomorrow, October 20th, only available in St. Louis. Well, St. Louis obviously loves Anheuser-Busch and Budweiser. And we obviously love Nelly. So it is the ultimate pairing of St. Louis favorites. I imagine those things will be flying off the shelves here. I would think so. Um, You know, they have the beers that are symbol, they symbolize your championship, whether it's the Mm -hmm. Blues or the Cardinals or whatever, and people keep those sometimes at their bar, keep them at our house. I imagine people would get a Nelly beer and put it right up there. Right. I've got the Blues ones. Yeah, Stanley Cup championship. So yeah, I'll get a Nelly Budweiser and just set it in my theater room. Nice. You're killing me, Smalls. Okay, finally, Randy, Neil deGrasse Tyson, we know him, famed astrophysicist. He tweeted something kind of alarming the other day. 
there's a huge refrigerator-sized space rock hurtling towards us at more than 25,000 miles per hour. And the buzz cut, it could buzz cut Earth on November 2nd, the day before the presidential election, Hmm. Randy. But he says... It's only the size of a refrigerator? Only the size. But he says it's not big enough to cause harm. So if the world ends in 2020, it won't be the fault of the universe. He tweeted a picture of this thing, and it looks huge. But you have to think about this. Okay, so you're telling me a refrigerator-sized rock is hurtling at Earth 25,000 miles an hour, and it wouldn't be something that would make that big of an impact? Yes, I don't think it's going to end the world, but still, um, imagine if that thing landed here. Imagine if it low, went through the roof of SoFi Stadium. I'm... <laughs> That's the first thing that popped into my head. Hey, Randy, at least they could see it coming. Clear roof. <laughs> That's true. I, I don't want anybody, well, maybe only one or two people to be in there, but I don't want a crowd in there. I just want it to no, of course not. ruin the $5 billion edifice. That's all. You know what? That The way that that thing is going, all of the, the problems that has has happened it'd there. Be I, fit. It'd fit, wouldn't it? I wouldn't surprise. But can can you imagine, though? Having a 25,000-mile-an-hour refrigerator-sized rock landing in St. Louis? It would hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't imagine that. Anyway. Great stuff. Thank you. You got it, Randy. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's your Killing Me, Smalls. We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin is here in studio getting ready for Scoops with Danny Mac as we get ready for the 2020 World Series, which starts tomorrow and is going to be kind of weird without a lot of fans in the stands and the neutral site. But overall, Dan, uh, first of all, hi, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. It was great. A lot of baseball, a lot of uh, game sevens. That was fun. That was so good. it was uh, dramatic. Um, I'm used to the the non-fans. Um I'm, you know, it's kind of the yeah. new norm, so I'm okay with it, you know. I wonder if... It's base- not ideal, yeah. but it's, you know, it is what it is. I wonder if MLB will be intrigued by the idea of a neutral site. I, I've been doing a lot of thinking of that. I actually threw that out on a show, and people were like, man, I, I don't think we could do that because you go back to, I, hey, I was at the David Freeze game, or I was at the Ozzie Smith home run game, and I understand that was the playoffs, but... You have these dramatic moments at home cities, and I totally get that as a fan. You know, it's part of what you grow up as a fan with. However, if you want to make it, times change. I'm a big believer that you you evolve with the times. If you want to make it that Super Bowl atmosphere, and it's all about the almighty dollar and trying to uh, make it as magnified as you can and have that week be the centralization of the explosion of your sport and get your, you know, to try to make it as great as you can for your your main supporters, you know, your advertisers and your corporate sponsors, a neutral site would work and you would maybe not have to worry about weather mm-hmm. issues, that kind of thing. So you go to a dome stadium or go, go to a warm weather place and you have the parties and the corporate tents and the things of that nature. I could see it. I don't think it's ideal, but, you know, I I could see it. But if you're one of the owners, I can't imagine that you would want to lose that revenue that you would generate. But that revenue is split, though, differently. That that revenue is not the revenue that you're going to get. Now, I don't know how it's broken down in terms of what you're getting um, with ticket sales, but that revenue is really split with Major League Baseball. It's not like a home game in June. Oh, okay. So that is a lot of that revenue is with Major League Baseball. Again, to your point, though, you're right. You're not getting... Um, 
for instance, if you own some parking lots or parking garages, that kind of thing, I, I guess that kind of stuff is going out of your pocket and maybe some of the ticket sales. And I, I again, Michelle, I don't know how it's broken up of you have 5% of your tickets there or mm-hmm. 10% or is it 50%, I, which I know is really high, but majority of those tickets are going to Major League Baseball. So a lot of it is is controlled by Major League Baseball once you get into the uh, World Series. And I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think the first three games of the World Series, the revenue goes to MLBPA. A lot of it does, yes. And then once you get to the World Series, that is Major League Baseball's. So right. it, it is your hometown team buying the tickets, yet it's going to Major League Baseball. So the money is going into their coffers. Yeah. This will be fun. I I, I really do like these two organizations. I like the way, the way they the go about best. their business. Yeah, they are. No I doubt. I think it's the two best. I think when we were starting to talk about in June who are the two best teams going in, I would have said Tampa Bay the Dodgers and probably the Yankees would have been in my top three. So we got the top two. I think this is it. I didn't expect Randy Rosarena to be the best hitter on the planet. Um, if I think if you're the Dodgers, you cannot pitch to him. No. Honestly, I, I, I think if you're going to be the Dodgers going into this series, you just say, we're not letting him beat us. Somebody else is going to have to beat us. He has been that good. And the the Houston Astros have to be kicking themselves right now for pitching to Randy Rosarena in that series. If they take him out of the series, I think Houston wins that series. The rest of the team hit right. well below 200. They were not good. They hit well below 200. If you take him out of the series, I think Houston wins the series. By the way, here's that number for you. The players' pool is formed from 50% of the gate receipts from the wild card games, 60% of the gate receipts from the first three games of the division series, 60% of the gate receipts from the first four games of the LCS, and 60% of the gate receipts from the first four games of the World Series. So the players get 60% of the gate receipts from the first four games of the LCS and the World Series, and that's how that player's pool is formed. As a fan, man, I would love to, uh, I would say, man, do not take it out of the home cities. Yeah. Because it's a chance to take your family down there, and it builds memories. I remember taking my kids to the World Series, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty cool. So part of the magic of the David Freeze moment is that it's at Bush Stadium. Yeah, exactly. That's the the part of it that you, you take in, but again, it's always about, the almighty dollar. So yeah. if you can generate more revenue for your sport, um, you satisfy your corporate sponsors, you build it like the World Series or the NFL type atmosphere for a Super Bowl, which I don't think you could ever get to that level. But if you could generate that kind of um, buzz with that and, and satisfy your corporate sponsors, I guess you would look at it. I'm wondering what the Cardinals are going to look like on opening day of 2021. I, I wonder if there will be many players that we don't already know. I don't know. I think the again. I go back to the the question that no one knows is who's in the stands. Mm-hmm. That that's it. Are, who are and I, what I mean is, are do we have fans? You know, do we have fans? And, and if we have an answer to that, then I think we have a better understanding of what you can spend. But even if, if there are fans, don't you think it's the the nature of the beast to try to recoup what they didn't get this year? I, I would think most teams will do that. Yeah, I, I do. But I also think then you can set a budget and have a better understanding of yeah. what you can do. I, I do. I, I think then you have a, just as in general, just with any any business, okay, we lost this in 2020. Here's a look at 2021. Here's our budget. Here's our constraints. And here's what we're dealing with. So make it work. You know, we, we want to sign Yachty. We'd love to bring back Wayno. 
Here's what we're looking at with our roster. Here's our deficiencies. Here's our positives. And let's try to, you know, put it in this pie to make it all work. Here's the puzzle and here are the pieces and here's what we got to do. I, you know, looking at, and I've said this a lot, watching, because I love baseball, as everybody knows, I just watching, and I don't know if you guys agree, just watching these games, I really don't believe the Cardinals are as far away as maybe people look at. Now, their, their offense is certainly, it has to be addressed. It has to be. But their pitching and how these games are being played with starters just not going deep, I mean, they're rolling out guy after guy after guy after guy. Cardinals have that not only with what they had in 2020, but also in their system that they have players that are ready to help that could have helped this year. Zach Thompson is mm-hmm. one that comes to mind. Maybe you push a Matthew Libertor. We don't know because we just didn't see what he did um, down in the minor leagues. Those kind of guys can help. So you're, you're going to have depth with your pitching. So I, I like that, but they've got to address some kind of offense. It just, it's got to be addressed. There's they no are, doubt. They're only two players away, Ruth and Gehrig. And again, you're you're taking it way too far. Um, but they, de- you know, just look at the numbers. I mean, they score four runs, they win. Right. There's, there's it, no it's doubt. It's that simple. Yeah. And really, because they're, and I just use a three and four or four and five hitter, their fourth and fifth place hitters were so deficient. If, if they can get, and I know these are hard to get, but a couple of the middle of the lineup guys, then you've got something. I think, though, that we... Where it gets fascinating is where are we, um, because of the nature of COVID, business-wise, I, I just think there's going to be so many deals Bargains. coming out of this. Yep. It, is it That's where the fascinating part of this is going to be crazy in yeah. baseball. Um, just guys that aren't picked up with their options, they become free agents, and the qualifying offers aren't there, so guys just become a part of the open market, and... You're going to be able to get deals. And a lot of these players then on the flip side say, no problem. They may not like it, but they say, okay, I'll roll the dice for one year. I'll take the deal and then hope that we all get back to some sense of normalcy and then strike it with a big deal. Yeah. You know, and maybe you get those players. I want to ask you about broadcasting because Michelle had the piece on uh, you're killing me, Smalls, that Doc Emmerich is retiring. How about that, huh? Yeah, at 74. Do you think, and you know a lot of broadcasters. I know Doc from my time doing the the hockey stuff. One of the nicest people in the world. He's awesome. He's he's great. But uh, how difficult do you think it is for these guys? Vin waited until his 90s to retire. I can't imagine. Bob Uecker is still going. Uh, (laughs) Mike Shannon. Yeah, Mike Shannon's still going in his 80s. That had to be really hard for him to do. Well, in what way? You mean like just, to, to do the just, game, just to, you mean? Or? Just, no, just to walk away from, yeah. because that's... That's all you know. Yeah, and it, it does, for better or worse... I think it, about it. it. Yeah, it becomes an identity, though. It, yeah. It becomes... And it's a, it's a lifestyle. I see all these guys down in spring training, the, all, the minor league guys in uniform people, coaches that are coaching in the minors that are in their 70s. And it, it's just a lifestyle for so many people. Randy, this is all sports. I've known. Yeah. It, this summer, on a personal note, was really hard. I, I, don't cry for me. I'm not saying cry for me, but this don't is cry when. For me so when the, when the game was taken away from me, um, and I didn't have a chance to do baseball, this is all I know. And I've been doing this since I was 23 years old mm-hmm. doing baseball. And I'm 46. Uh, it was hard. It, this is the you just you you are conditioned when March hits. Till October, mm-hmm. this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And when you've been doing that since you were 
for those guys, they're 70, 80. That's all you know. It is their identity, and they're used to going down to spring training. I'll just do it from a baseball perspective. And and the other thing, seeing all their friends, you know, seeing their right. friends that are on the road, th- those are their friends. You know, you for me, I haven't seen my friends like Chip Carey. These are my contemporaries of guys that are like some of these guys are my best friends. Mm-hmm. I just got off the phone with Chip on the way here. Haven't seen him. And now we can talk on the phone and all that kind of stuff. But, man, it's I, I don't understand. I I wouldn't have the understanding of what it's like to step away. You're right. It is very, very hard. It, and they've I would like to think that they've made enough money so that they don't have to worry about that for a long time. But, yes, it's um it's very, very tough. And and the other thing is they love the game. As yeah. much as the game is changed, and when they first started doing games, a game might take two hours and 15 minutes. And now it's three hours and 15 or three and a half hours, and that's a long time. But they love the game with all its warts. They still love the game. They love being at the ballpark. They love talking to the manager and the players and the front office personnel and the media guys and the smell of the ballpark. I don't know if you heard the little clip I had with Tim McCarver the other day celebrating his birthday. Did you, did you guys mm-hmm. hear that? Yeah. He talked about being a player, and he said you have the smell of being in a dugout. And then he talked about being a broadcaster. And I've talked to Tim about not being around the game this year, and I've talked to him once a week at least since he stepped away. Um, it's not been easy. It's very hard. You know, it's it's just who you are. It's, it's who what you, you do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Fun fact for you. We mentioned today is the anniversary game six of the 82 World Series. There were the two, rain out, two, right? two rain delays, rain delays totaling I mean. two and a half hours. Game time for a World Series it's game 205. six. Two, 221. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for a World Series game. Wow. Amazing. How about this, though? I know we got to go, but I'm sure... I I wanted to hear Joe on Game Seven last night. Yeah, I did too. I wanted to hear well Joe Buck. Joe Buck, right? Joe Buck. And Joe Davis did a good job. He did great. Um, but I, that's baseball Game Seven. I want to hear him on that. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you're, this is a problem for me. If you're a young fan of the Atlanta Braves, it started at eight Eastern, I think, mm-hmm. last night. So think about that. Mm-hmm. That game took three and a half, four hours. Right. So now it's midnight or, you know, so now in the, the West Coast, it's fine. You're a Dodger fan. No big deal. But what if the, the Braves win that game? That's a problem for me. I get it that you're going up against the NFL. So what? And I believe, Dan, if I'm not mistaken, every World Series game starts at 630 Central or earlier. Okay. So they, they, they've at least made that more accessible to kids. Not that they can watch the whole game, but at least it's more accessible. How crazy was it seeing a daytime ABC playoff game this year? Yeah. ABC. Yeah. I think the last time that was it was Donnie Moore giving up a home run and Al Michaels was on a call. Right. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. probably the last time you saw one on ABC. Yeah. But I, I like postseason day games. Me too. I, I, think, I wish they would do more of them. Yeah. That'd be great. At least on the weekends. Let the kids see it. Yep. Looking forward to scoops. Ryan Fagan coming up. We're going to talk to Alex Ferrario and we'll recap the weekend that was. All right, my man. Have a great one. Okay, thanks. That is Dan McLaughlin. He's coming up. That is Dan McLaughlin. He's coming up. Scotty, great job. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, thank you. Thank Hit them straight, guys. Yeah, we'll do our best. Enjoy it's a beautiful the golf. day for weather, uh, for perfect, golf. Perfect. The weather's perfect yeah. for it. We'll get out there. Hey, thanks you for tu- thanks to you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. For all of us, till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.